1: Hello, and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. Uh, it's a podcast where me and my brother John answer all your questions, give you Dubu's advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hi, John. How are you? I, uh, <laughs> you're,
0: you're so sad. <laughs> that was the saddest intro I've ever heard. Uh, did my our, best. You know, it, it's... a. Uh, It's never a funny comedy podcast, but uh, this particular episode of Dear Hank and John is going to be particularly unfunny uh, because Hank's beloved dog, Lemon, uh, has just died. uh, And also uh, because uh, I have just learned in the last hour that uh, the brilliant novelist Harper Lee has died, uh, one of my favorite writers. And um, yeah, so don't expect any funny today.
1: Yeah, um, it was always a comedy podcast about death. Now it is just a death comedy, a death podcast about death.
0: Now it's just a death podcast about death. Now it's just all death (laughs) all the time. Uh, Speaking of which, Hank, before we even get to how we're doing, which I think the answer is universally terribly, I have to say that there is an important correction uh, to one of our previous episodes. And this comes from Matt, who would like to inform us that in fact, despite it being the shortest month, February is not the deadliest month, at least in the United States. August and September share the title for the least deadly month, with the August death rate uh, being the lowest, while September is the lowest by uh, total deaths. February is fourth in total deaths and third in deaths per day. So we are still in the thick
1: of the death. The death season. One of one of the things you said didn't make any sense there at the end. It's it's fourth in death rate
0: and third in deaths per day. Oh, no, it's fourth in total deaths and third in death rate.
1: Uh, this is too confusing for my brain right now. And all in I can any tell case, you, Hank, is I, that yeah,
0: this it, February is a terrible time to be alive. Well, it is because your chances of dying are exceptionally high.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's very like it it seems it seems very unlikely to me and I would like to know wh- why except that it's cold and people are like eh had enough. Yeah. Had enough of this
0: living thing. No, I mean I I am inclined to agree uh the 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 best time to be alive is mm, probably August. Uh maybe September. Uh, depending on how you calculate it. But January and February are just overwhelmingly the worst. To give you uh, a little bit of context, in February, the average number of deaths per day in the United States is 7,081. Mm. In September, it's 6,051. Wow. It's more than 1,000 deaths per day less. Wow. That's a big difference. That is not just a big difference in numbers. I know. It's
1: a big difference in in actual numbers of, of people. Uh, 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 I know. Sorry, not just in numbers, but in percentage. Um, that's, that's very strange. And also, I'm kind of surprised by how few people die per month. Well, in the United States. But still, that's, I, I don't know, there's 300 million of us. It's surprising that only, only 6,000 people die in any month. Well... Uh, what do, what do all the people who work for funeral homes even do?
0: All I can tell you Hank is that I cannot wait for August.
1: All right. Well, I I uh, my my favorite month is September. <laughs> so I guess uh, I guess that plays out in the uh, in the stats as well.
0: So, uh we just have to pause briefly uh to commemorate the life of Harper Lee, author of To Kill a Mockingbird. Harper Lee, who wrote, There are just some kind of men who, who are so busy worrying about the next world they've never learned to live in this one. And who wrote, Mockingbirds don't do one thing but make music for us to enjoy. They don't eat up people's gardens, don't nest in corn cribs. They don't do one thing but sing their hearts out for us. That's why it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. And Harper Lee, who also wrote the single greatest line of dialogue in American literature, Miss Jean Louise, stand up, your father's passing. Hank, she was one of my favorite writers, um, especially when I was a young person. And when my son was born, uh, we gave him the middle name Atticus, partly because of uh, the uh, historical Atticus, but partly because of uh, Atticus Finch, the great hero in the novel To Kill a Mockingbird. And uh, my publisher, Julie Strass Gable, uh, after Henry was born, sent Harper Lee uh, some copies of my books. And uh, Ms. Lee very kindly uh, sent one of them back—a first uh, printing of *Looking for Alaska* uh, that she signed mm. on the title page. That's Welcome to the great. world, Henry Atticus Harper Lee.
1: I feel like that was our short poem already. I hope you don't have another one because. But of- I
0: have a short poem about dog death.
1: Oh, really? You found a short poem about dog
0: death? Of course, I did, Hank.
1: Oh my goodness. All right, I'm
0: going to take my headphones out, and you do it, and then I'll be back like to sort of yell when you're done. Okay. Uh, today's short poem is by Mary Oliver, a great uh, lover of dogs and also a wonderful poet. Uh, this is from her book Dog Songs, and the title of the poem is If You Are Holding This Book. You may not agree, you may not care, but if you are holding this book, you should know that of all the sights I love in this world, and there are plenty... Very near the top of the list is this one Dogs Without Leashes. <laughs> if you are holding this book from Mary Oliver's book, Dog Songs, I can handle that one. All right. I, I tried. There are some sadder ones, but I didn't want to, to uh, make you cry in our comedy podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny. <laughs> it's such a funny podcast, John. Oh, oh. man i'll tell you what uh it's it's weird it's uh it's very my my emotions make no sense and uh and they continue to surprise me and i i am learning about myself through this process uh and what i'm learning is i ain't no rational being (laughs) that's not what humans are uh so it's uh yeah it's something else um and it sucks.
0: Yeah, I'm really sorry. So. Uh, she was a great dog, and um, and it is. I mean, it's just a it's it's a it's a grieving process. And I think uh, no matter what kind of grief you experience, the main one of my main conclusions from grief is that grief is super weird, uh, mm-hmm. and that if you try mm-hmm. to judge yourself within the process of grief, you're only going to complicate matters because uh, it's complex and weird and uh i would argue that there aren't a lot of wrong ways to do it but instead you just kind of got to let let yourself yep. be yourself
1: all right well I, I will take that advice john do you want to talk about anything else before we answer a question no maybe we should uh start off with a question about death all right that sounds like uh, the kind of thing that that might happen here on dear hank
0: and john all right so our first question of the day comes from abby who writes dear john and hank I am the only child of a single parent who is dead. My father and I were extremely close, and his death two years ago was without doubt the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But it does mean that in this terrible economy, I am a 26-year-old with a low-paid artsy job who owns a beautiful home in inner London outright and lives alone. I sometimes struggle to deal with other people's reactions to this. Many people are confused by my rare situation and ask me how it happened, and answering is very awkward, and I've also found that some of my friends struggle not to sound jealous or bitter about it. As you host the best comedy podcast about death on the whole internet—thank you, Abby—I thought you (laughs) might be able to help. Do you have any dubious advice for me? Oh my
1: god! It's uh, well. It's good to a- a answer questions that are you know universal. Everyone deals with these issues of of uh, just of having this particular situation. Uh, it's very it's a very uh, it's a very surprising and unusual circumstance you find yourself in. But I think in a lot of ways one that that actually isn't that unusual. Um, you know the the ridiculousness of of capital you know of the of of course like i i believe to some extent in the market and in the existence of capital i understand that it needs to exist but it is very strange how so many how how we all have very different amounts of things and and that allows uh you know it it makes it well i i think that the the easy way to say it is like when you have more stuff when you have more assets your life is easier and you can make uh, different choices. You can, you know, it is easier to
0: do the things that you want to do. Um, right. But of course, I'm sure that also Abby would, in a, in a heartbeat, of course, uh, you know, give up her house in inner London to have her, her relationship with her father back or to have her father be living again. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so complicated. I mean, when we were talking earlier about how grief is inherently complicated, that's one of the things that's complicated about it, right, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it's... It, it, you know th- when, when you talk about someone who who who's died leaving you a legacy, you know part of that legacy is a physical house, and mm-hmm. that is a great blessing mm-hmm. um it doesn't make th- it doesn't make the death any less horrible it doesn't make the loss any less horrible um and uh you know, I think that uh I think the only way to deal with those those awkward situations is um to acknowledge that they are awkward. Like Mm -hmm. just to just to be like, yeah, I know it's it's it is weird and I feel weird about it, too. But this is this is what happened.
1: Right. Right. And it's almost as if like it's all a thing that we know, like it's it's a thing that we all know to say, like, I wouldn't give up a loved one for wealth, obviously. Like that's a thing that we we all know. But to have gone through it uh, is a different thing. And to have learned that lesson the hard way. Um, And uh, so so like there's there's also uh, there is some awkwardness in uh not just in inequality in uh in material wealth but in inequality in experience and uh and it can make it can feel very scary and very uncomfortable to talk to someone who has lost something that you know that is unusual to have lost at the age the, that right. you are and uh and that lot, uh, other people do not have that shared experience um and sadly, that will get, um, that will get more or less common, but it will be less the case as you get older.
0: Yeah, it will become progressively less weird. Um, but, but yeah, I think that it's, I, I, I always feel like with, um, with those awkward situations, really the only way to deal with it is to acknowledge the awkwardness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You say like,
1: okay, well, uh, it, it's funny actually, uh, the, the, uh, it's, it's it's funny actually is how I started the sentence. But um, the the night before we were taking Lemon into the vet to say goodbye, uh, we went to get donuts because that's a, that's how we were feeling. And so we went to Krispy Kreme. Uh, we were actually like out to get. We were just like picking up some food to take home. And we were like, and then we were like, oh god, we're right next to Krispy Kreme. So we went to Krispy Kreme, and the guy uh, gave, gave us our donuts and he said, so how's your how's your night going? And we were like, oh, we're not, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's, he said, he he is lo- a very nice guy. He looked at me and he was like, well, I hope it goes better. And I was like, thank you. Because like, it, like it's, it's very strange to like, cause you know, the vast majority of the time people are like, how are you doing? You're like, good. Uh, but I could not, I could not bring myself to say good. And uh, he handled it very well. I felt like, uh, in a way, I handled it well. But I was also a little bit like, do I look like the kind of person who goes to Krispy Kreme at 9 o'clock at night uh, because I'm having a good day? <laughs>
0: that's just not, I that's don't not know. who I am. I don't think there's anything wrong. I don't <laughs> think that, like, it's inherently <laughs> depressive to go to Krispy Kreme in the evening. I don't think there's any right time to go to Krispy Kreme. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. I, de- I definitely did feel like, well, this is not a thing that I would normally do, but... Uh, It
0: did not make me feel better. (laughs) I'll tell you that. It's funny how that works. Um, I find Uh that uh, when I eat uh, poorly, it makes me feel better uh, only while I am swallowing the food. And then (laughs) within (laughs) five minutes, it makes me feel much, much worse.
1: All right. I have another question, John, if you're up for that. I'm ready. This one's from Daniel, who asks, Dear Hank and John... Whenever I'm having conversations with a friend about a problem they're having, I often find myself suggesting solutions to the problem instead of just listening. I find it difficult to tell the difference between when someone wants me to suggest solutions and when someone just wants to be listened to. What are some tips to become a better listener? I feel like uh, I do this a lot, and John has given me advice on this very topic, and so I am going to (laughs) shush.
0: Yeah, because God knows you talk too much on this comedy podcast. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can only give you the advice that my uh, chaplaincy supervisor uh, gave me many years ago and that I've tried to hold close uh, to me ever since, which is uh, don't just do something, stand there. Uh, It is incredibly powerful uh, to listen and to listen Mm -hmm. empathetically. And so and so when I'm trying to listen to someone, I'm I'm always trying to. Uh, To pay close attention and then also to reflect their feelings and experiences back to them Um, So we've talked about this in past comedy podcasts, but empathetic listening uh, Can sound a little bit stupid when you're talking about it in the abstract So for instance, if you have a friend who's saying um, You know, i'm feeling really afraid of abandonment because my boyfriend is talking about moving to korea uh, You would you you might respond by saying, um it sounds like you're feeling afraid of abandonment. (laughs) Um, Ideally, you'll do it in a slightly more sophisticated way than that. So the person uh, who you're talking to isn't like, did you just literally repeat what I said? But in my experience, even if you just literally repeat what they say, it's still helpful. They'll be like, yes, exactly. (laughs) And there's just something about having someone else validate your your feelings Mm -hmm. that's very powerful.
1: Yeah. And I think that a lot of times people are talking about their problems because they need to hear them. They're almost they, they almost need you to be there so that they can feel OK talking to themselves. And that's really that's right. really weird. Uh, but we don't feel OK talking to ourselves a lot of the time. Uh, and and also just to help tease the feelings out, because I as I have found in the last uh, last few days, um it's very difficult to know what you feel all the time. And so sometimes you just need to talk about it just so that you can know. And sometimes I want to get a therapist even though I'm pretty pretty well adjusted person just so I can have a person with a blank slate and be like, "Okay, I'm just going to hit you with all this stuff." Um, you know, yeah. you don't know anything about me. I don't know anything about you. Let me hit you with all this stuff so that I could just at least like hear what this sounds like. To a person who isn't in the middle of it,
0: right? Yeah, no, I, that's one of the big benefits of having um, having a therapist. I don't think that you have to have uh, mental problems to go to therapy. I think you know, the, going to a psychologist is very different from going to a psychiatrist. Um, yeah, I would, I would recommend it, Hank. I am, I've been in therapy since pretty consistently since uh, the year two thousand, and uh, my life has gotten consistently better over those sixteen years. <laughs> sure correlation and causation always the same uh yeah but then again like i don't want to mess around with anything because the correlation is so strong um yeah yeah totally uh that's but it's it's i know it's magical thinking to some extent um i have a question hank it's for mallory it is a fascinating question i do not know if you will be able to answer it but i find it very beautiful she writes dear john and hank My grandpa and I have been in a very heated argument for about two years. He believes there is a possibility that another planet exactly like Earth could be in our orbit on the opposite side of the sun, making it impossible (laughs) for us to ever see it and for it to ever see us. He saw this in an old movie once. I'm no astronomer, but I did take some courses (laughs) in college, and I don't think this could happen. Could this fictional planet exist? What a great question Well, well, first Mallory, I have to say, I'm glad to hear you took at least some courses in college <laughs> yeah she didn't she, Mallory did not say that she took astronomy <laughs> courses, but she did take some courses. There was at least one course, maybe two, <laughs> that were taken during college. Oh uh, man, I took anthropology, I took pre calc <laughs> those two I took some courses uh, I I, uh first I,
1: I'm glad that your grandfather and you are able to have this spirited debate. I hope that it's that it's uh a, it's a, a pleasant one. And uh it's it's also nice, uh I think when you're having a debate to know that you're right, which in this case you are. And uh but even but, but it is also important to recognize sometimes you're like, I know I'm right. I know I'm right. I don't know why I'm right, but I know I'm right. And yes, Mallory is right. Oh Daniel, I was
0: hoping for a uh, secret planet. It's,
1: it's it's unfortunate, but the reason I know I'm right is not because I know all the reasons why I'm right. It's because I I have faith. I trust th- that the people who uh, who study the universe have thought of this thing that was apparently in a movie a long time ago, and have checked. <laughs> uh, oh, so that, you don't? So you don't actually know? That it's impossible. I do know that it's impossible, but Mallory doesn't oh. because she only took some oh. courses in college. <laughs> uh, Can you
0: explain to me why it's impossible, please?
1: Uh, we uh, have a pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good grasp on the gravitational effects that all of the planets have on each other. Um, oh. It is true that the gravita- that its gravitational effects on Earth would be would be basically in, invisible. Um, so, but there, there's a, uh, there's, there's a bunch of different reasons as with uh, uh, like lots of cool things in, in science uh, that we, uh, that we figure out it, it, a bunch of different arrows all point to the same things. Um, mm-hmm. So we know how planets form and we know that it would be extremely difficult for a planet to form this way. It would t- t- for, for two globs uh, to perfectly pull all of the stuff from the planetary accretion disk into uh into these opposite points um if it was even if they were even very slightly different masses they would eventually come together uh, which is what happens and why there is only one planet in each of the orbits uh, um. Despite the fact there is there's a gravitational point at which you could put another earth and mm. that they would go they would go around each other. so there's that reason um, there's also that you know just sort of like the, we have studied the earth. We also have have things that sense like that are not on earth. So you say like, yes, it could be there and we wouldn't be able to see it, but we have uh, we have eyes and other points in the solar system. So there's lots of different reasons why this is not a thing that could be. Um, but it's a fun thought experiment. And also, uh, you know, like we do uh, we do. There are a, a number of weird gravitational points like that, and we do utilize those. Um so they are like gravitationally stable points and there are asteroids in those places that are sort of like stably following us around mm. but um but uh but no, not earth no, no big no no big ob no yeah no other no other earth which would be amazing because it would be really easy to get to and
0: yeah that's what then, i was thinking we could get to our yeah. secret earth um well mm-hmm. mallory i don't think you should tell your grandfather about this i think you should just continue the argument um, yeah. I, I don't well, it's think a lot better should... than
1: the arguments that uh, that that uh, I have with my my, cons- my 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 family members who I disagree
0: with things on. <laughs> I, I was like, are you going to say that we are having arguments with our grandparents because they're all dead? <laughs> but <laughs> not, Hank's still fighting it for. out. He's still fighting it out with <laughs> Nanny and Papa about, about whether or not uh, gay Global people should be allowed to get married. They may be dead, but Hank is not done with that argument. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kinda not <laughs> you know, I will say at the end of her life, um uh our grand the New York Times started um uh posting uh back then it was like s- civil union ceremonies um for for uh uh LGBT couples in in the wedding section and at the end of her life, my grandmother did say, well, I think that's that's a nice thing. Wow yeah. So that's a that's a that's a long journey to travel uh, for, a you know, 87 year old woman.
1: All right. This one is, is uh, this one's from Ori, who asks, Dear Hank and John, how do artificial flavors such as strawberry flavor pass as strawberry flavor when they taste nothing like strawberries? Does something trick in uh, does something in. Does something in it trick our brains into thinking that strawberries taste like that, or are we just used to calling it strawberry flavor because everybody does? I have a uh, a
0: surprisingly complicated answer to this question. John, do you? Uh, I have a theory about it. Okay. Uh, so this is my theory. Sometimes when I am drinking uh, an ice-cold, refreshing, I don't understand why they continue to refuse to sponsor me, Diet Dr. Pepper, um... I will take a sip of that Diet Dr. Pepper and I will enjoy it greatly for a moment until I realize that it is in fact Diet Mountain Dew. Mm. But my brain is so heavily expecting the flavor that it knows to be Diet Dr. Pepper that my brain initially is like, that's some good Diet Dr. Doctor- wait, wait, that isn't Diet Dr. Pepper at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's my theory is that you are essentially tricking your brain with um, with the color. And then you're also tricking your brain with the sweetness. Yeah, you're tricking your brain with with a bunch of, of
1: things, and I that, I think that absolutely does happen. And I I also, for me, it is a guess. It is not uh, it is not something that that I know anything about. Uh, but I do know some things about flavor chemistry because it is something that I studied some when I was in college. I took some courses, uh, <laughs> and uh, and and remarkably, there. So so when we first were isolating all of these artificial flavors, which are the things that we use uh, in candy almost exclusively. Um, we pulled out these all of these flavor compounds that have very strong smells, and they smell very good to us. And uh, so we, we pulled them all out, and a lot of them tasted like, ah, this tastes like a thing. We'll use it as the thing. Um, but a lot of them didn't taste like anything, though. They just tasted good. So it was a flavor that we liked, but it was, it was one of you know, a dozen different compounds that was in a strawberry or in a watermelon or in a blueberry or something. So it was, it was one of many compounds and it was just part of the subtlety of the flavor. But when we concentrated it and stuck it with some citric acid and some sugar, uh, which is the stuff that makes that, that was like the primary flavor components of, of sugar, of course, are like the actual tastes, uh, of sweetness and, and sourness. Um, and then you have these smells that go along with it to enhance that are enhanced by those things. Um, you get uh, all of these chemicals that taste good but don't taste like anything. So we had them; they're inexpensive to synthesize, and we like them. And they, but like they're just chemicals. So like they're named by the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry. They're not named by you know the the long uh history of people naming things being like that that berry grows in straw so let's call it a strawberry or whatever uh so like uh, they, they didn't want to call it like ethyl methyl phenyl uh flavored candy so they called it strawberry flavored
0: candy today's podcast is brought to you by ethyl methyl glysyl candy what is it called what do you call it <laughs> I don't even think I said it right. Uh, uh,
1: uh, ethyl methyl phenyl glycidate. <laughs> today's uh, today's podcast, is, is, today's is, podcast uh... is
0: brought to you by ethyl methyl date. Delicious, <laughs> but it doesn't taste like strawberries. But you're going to like it, and we're going to make it red. You're going to love it. Yeah. Uh, all, all right. Uh, we're doing this. Uh, the, today's, today's podcast is, uh, is, uh,
1: is, uh, is brought to you by uh, Too Many Sad Things. Too Many Sad Things. <laughs> Uh there's a lot of them and
0: just let them let them pile on top of you until you can no longer function or or even move And of course today's podcast is brought to you by delicious refreshing Diet Dr. Pepper. Diet Dr. Pepper, oh not sponsoring me since 2007. This podcast is
1: additionally brought to you by Meloria, the the, uh, the actual planet Meloria, which is found just behind the sun in the exact same position as the Earth, but not by anyone because it's hiding there and has been and will always be hiding there. Just an opportunity for us to consider what could possibly be if the Earth had it all to do over it. <laughs> Hank, is that really the name? Yeah, well, the girl's name was Mallory, who asked the question.
0: Oh, so you named the planet Malloria? That's very beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I figured figured it's what her grandfather would want. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, I just thought of a joke that's too dark for the podcast, which is really saying (laughs) something. (laughs) Okay, Hank, we have another question. This one's from uh, Kelsey, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I recently moved to a new city and I'm in the process of making friends. However, the people I'm meeting make significantly more money than me and like to hang out at bars and restaurants. I can't afford to go out multiple times a week. How do I continue to explore these burgeoning relationships without draining my bank account? PS, feel free to mention death in your response. Thanks, Kelsey, I appreciate that. I will mention death in my response. Here's the first thing that I would say, Kelsey. If you can just find a way to get to August, <laughs> you'll probably live to January. <laughs> well, that's good. It's, uh, it's I don't know. News. I don't know why you're so worried about your weekly spending yeah. when the first priority needs to be getting out of February. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> uh, so here's what I would say. Uh, this is always difficult, and it's complicated. Um, and I think it's one mm-hmm. of the reasons that we uh, now live in a culture in the United States where people uh, overwhelmingly spend most of their leisure time with people who are in similar socioeconomic brackets, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, which, is a, which is, I think, one of the biggest uh, social problems that, that we face as a country. Um, but what I would say is uh, don't go out multiple times a week. Uh, Go out once a week and then encourage your friends to come with you once a week to do something that is cheap. Like go Mm -hmm. to a park and, uh, you know, play. Feed pigeons. For for some reason, the idea that came into my head, Hank, was to play a game where you throw eggs back and forth to each other, but you try not to have the eggs break. but oh so they're are they in fourth grade fourth Well, graders? i mean not only is kelsey seemingly not in fourth grade what with going to bars and and, and etc but also um that isn't uh, that inexpensive of a game <laughs> because of course the eggs cost money <laughs> eggs are pretty cheap just don't get I mean, the free yeah range they're one. cheap get but you get know, the know, sad chicken you know, eggs. if you're watching if you're watching your weekly budget you don't want to just go throwing raw eggs at people
1: no, I agree. Uh, though, though, compared with uh, the cost of a cocktail in New York City, you could probably get about four dozen eggs for that.
0: <laughs> did I ever tell you about the first time I went to New York City with my uh, best friend Todd when we were in high school? My best friend Todd no, came. Did you have insufficient funds? Uh, no, that was Canada. My best friend Todd uh, is from a very small town in Alabama and uh, grew up in a trailer park and had never been to New York City before. And we went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And we were at the restaurant there with, uh, with my parents, and Todd saw that two eggs were $9. <laughs> it was two eggs scrambled <laughs> were $9. Uh-huh. And Todd said to the waiter in his thick Southern accent, for $9, I want a suitcase full of eggs that I can take home with me. <laughs> It's a different time. Well, now Todd is an extremely successful dermatologist, but I suspect that you know, he still won't pay nine dollars for two eggs. No, I I understand that perspective. I, I uh, back to Kelsey's
1: question. I believe I didn't say that wrong, did I? It is Kelsey? It is Kelsey. Uh, yeah, I I think it's. I think in particularly in big cities, this is a huge issue because big cities are optimized to to uh, to provide for every like little slice, every little demographic slice and uh where i live there's just nothing you can spend much money on uh so everybody is sort of on the same page for the most part um and uh but but in new york city i think you really like there are so many different you know economic brackets and the city is optimized to 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 you know function for each of them individually uh i i cannot imagine having to try to figure this out um but there are I, it, hopefully you uh, one can, when doing these things, manage to do it not so conspicuously on a budget. Oh, I'm just having seltzer now i I'm taking a medication that means that i can't I can't drink anything that costs more than 20 dollars a glass um, <laughs> that sort of thing um, and don't don't be afraid to lie uh, about that about the little white yeah, lies. John and I are big fans of those, and then uh, love a good lie. And then, you know, also be like, you know what I think is super fun is Settlers of Catan and uh, bring them back to your place where I'm sure there's loads of space for a large game playing
0: table because it is New York City and everyone knows. Oh, man. When we lived in New York, Hank, we entertained in our apartment in the two and a half years that we lived there. We entertained in our apartment once. Yeah. We had friends over to our apartment oh, one God. time. It's so And hard. it was horrible because it was so small it was so cramped. We were trying to, like, make breakfast, and our uh, our kitchen didn't have any drawers, which is, you know, inconvenient when you're cooking for two, but when you're cooking for six, it's just, oh, it's just such a pain. Let's move on to another question so that I can forget about my New York City kitchen. This question is from Dikista,
1: who asks, uh, Dear Hank and John, I'm in need of some dubious advice from two people who spe- seem to be in stable, happy relationships. I'm a 21-year-old woman in college attracted to the male type, but it seems that nothing. Well, that's your first mistake. <laughs> it seems that nothing is working out for me relationship-wise. I went out with this guy once, and I thought it was going really well. Uh, and uh, he said he was looking forward to another date, and then suddenly just canceled, and I haven't heard from him since then. My more hip friends (hip is in quotation marks here) have told me that this is called ghosting, where you just stop talking to someone to show disinterest. But this no- makes no sense to me. Ah!
0: Oh god! I was all
1: in caps. That was all in caps. Why do people take this seemingly easy way out when it seems like it's just better for everyone to
0: tell the person you're not interested? We're adults, for goodness sake. Oh, God, I never want to be single again. Oh, I can't even give an encouraging answer to this question because inside I'm just cringing... Uh, at all of my memories of dating it's just so uncomfortable when you don't know if you're going to spend the rest of your lives together like the whole (laughs) process is uncomfortable even when you've been in a committed relationship for like two years it's still a little weird because Mm -hmm. you're like is this forever or are you just like yeah gonna be here for a while and then you're gonna go do something else. You've always got that option. You've
1: always got that thing oh, that, yeah. that maybe sitting there. That that the choice. It's always a choice every day. It's like, do I want to be with this person or not? Until uh, you, until you go and you say you stand in a, a fancy building and you say, Hey God, God, I want you to hear this. Oh. We're not gonna break up. And then God's like, I heard you. And then then it takes a little bit of that of that constant choice out of the matter.
0: Although I have um, to say, Hank, and you I, did not stand in a building. Or, in fact, no. say anything and we didn't to God. We didn't talk to God either. No. Yeah, we said nothing to God. It's you guys true. stood in a field true. and uh, promised to stay it's married. That's <laughs> true. Well, we said it to our God, which was our friends and family. That's fair. Anyway, point being, uh, Hank and I are terrible, yeah. terrible at giving dating advice. Um, it's true but i have i have i have watched this i've watched
1: I have a lot of young friends who are in in the two thousand sixteen dating scene, which is admittedly very different from my dating scene, which was just uh just grab onto and hold the first woman who will listen to the and be giants with me uh, and never <laughs> let go the uh it's so, a true story of how <laughs> hank got married <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, th- I, as I watched this happen, both on the, the ghoster side and the ghost e side, I think what's, what's kind of happening is that it's, it's kind of a side effect of the, the, uh, the tiny commitment of the text message. Uh, which is which is that it is a really insignificant social act to text someone. and it is also kind of and, and so everyone recognizes that. Everyone recognizes that this isn't a big deal. You texted me, no big. Um, but like because there's this really low commitment form of communication, any other form of communication seems really intense. Like if you were to send an email to this person, it would be really strange and like why are are we establishing a business relationship here and if you were to call them people would be like oh whoa 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 back down there tiger what are what are we married calling me on the phone and uh and and but additionally to this like very low impact like this is the only way you can communicate and basically i see that you are not like it's not a big deal if i don't text back because you are just texting me and it's a low impact form of communication i think also every single text message is like like when you get one, you have to make the choice whether to text back or not. And if that choice isn't obvious, then there's always that like, well, I can put this choice off. And not texting is a non-choice. It is a wait till later to make this decision choice. While texting is an active kind of a commitment, an active choice that you are making. And choices are kind of exhausting, especially when you have to make lots of them. And so you're increasing the number of these choices that you have to make. And I, I've watched, and, and it's like, what I would rather do is just not make a choice right now. So I'm going to push this, push this off until finally the choice gets made for you because they're like, oh, well, I didn't text them back for two weeks. It'd be real weird to text back now. But you never really made that choice. So I think that there's a lot of, like, this isn't about not being interested um, necessarily. Of course, sometimes it is absolutely about not being interested. But oftentimes it's not just like, I'm not interested. It's like, I'm choice exhausted I have two like and I don't know like there's a lot going on and I don't want to necessarily add this because it's not like it's not the hundred percent slam dunk thing that I imagine might could happen someday.
0: Having heard you, Hank, uh, old man your way through this question, I have come to a revelation (laughs) that is even more terrifying than the revelation I came to when I realized that I myself was middle aged. Which is that I, I now have a younger brother who is also middle-aged. <laughs> <clears throat> like, while you were answering that question, you left <laughs> early age and you entered middle-age. It happened. It happened. I, I, I,
1: was, I, I, I should have used the word millennial at some point. I heard it happen and I, <laughs> I'm upset. We need to move well, on. No, I should. I should. I should just. I should just go full on and become a baby boomer and be like, uh, "You young kids need to make decisions and be more careful with each other's opinions of each other." And I don't know <laughs> why
0: all middle aged people are from New York. Oh my God, uh, Sarah and I had the best time a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, a, a friend of ours who will remain nameless was using a, a Tinder-like dating app and allowed us to choose whether to swipe left or right on their behalfs and i mean mm. i totally get it it was so fun um but let let's yeah. move on to one last question before we get to the do you
1: do you not do you not think i had good advice do you think that it was all bad
0: and that 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 no uh, i, I mean just... i think i my advice would be to listen to your hip friends rather than hank green <laughs> 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 i just watch i i it's so hard
1: to watch young people date and it just seems it seems very difficult and very yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was always hard. From, I think it yeah. was
0: always hard. I think it was always complicated. But it does, to to our eyes, certainly seem more difficult and complicated than it used to. Okay, Hank, one last question before we get to the mm-hmm. news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. This question is from Bethany, who writes, Dear John and Hank, last year my fiancé and I traveled to London from Canada for vacation. And, of course, we attended an AFC Wimbledon game to show our support. Oh, well, That's awesome. Thank you, Bethany. Everybody in South London, everybody who visits London should really go to an AFC Wimbledon game. I myself am going to one in a week, uh, but more on that in a moment. Oh. Um The game was incredibly fun to watch, but the best part of the experience for me was joining in with the crowd as they sang various songs to support the Dons and taunt the other team. I've never been to a sporting event where there was so much singing and camaraderie like there was at the Wimbledon game, and I'm just wondering, how did this tradition of singing at football games come about? I've never seen anything like it at sporting events here in Canada. It's true. You don't hear a lot of curling songs um, <laughs> or even hockey songs. You know, hockey, hockey's mm-hmm. mostly about like cheering uh, or, or making a lot of noise to make a lot of noise rather than about mm-hmm. singing specific songs. And that's mostly true in American sports as well. Um, you know, I think as far as I know, the tradition uh, goes back, uh, you know, 100 years uh, that some of the some of the songs that are sung uh, are many generations old but I don't know where singing at soccer games started it is however a what a huge part of what is so enjoyable about going to a Wimbledon game or or really any game uh with with good with good support is that there's this energy in the crowd that is almost uh ir- like th- it, the game is almost irrelevant to the energy um like one of my favorite moments you can look this up on youtube hank i think it was uh aston villa fans they were they were like 1200 aston villa fans uh away, playing away to manchester city and they were losing like 7 nothing and they started, they started uh, first off, they, they sang one of my all-time favorite football songs, which is, uh, You're Nothing Special, We Lose Every Week. <laughs> 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 um, but then they then they started singing, let's pretend, let's pretend, let's pretend we scored a goal. And then uh, they sang that like three rounds of it. And then the, all 1,200 of them just went nuts, like uh, just screaming, jumping up and down, hugging. Uh, it was amazing. And like... You know, they weren't even like watching the atrocity right. that was yeah. happening on the actual football field. And for me, that is what makes uh, sports special and interesting and especially makes uh, soccer so interesting is that it has that passion that extends way beyond whatever the results of the game are. Um and I really would encourage everybody to go to AFC Wimbledon games. I would also say it's only $35 a year to become an owner of AFC Wimbledon. Uh, if you can you can go become an owner of the team, just like I am at the Don's Trust. And uh, that's really cool, too. You get lots of perks. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a really special experience. And one that I will get to enjoy next week, Hank, because I am going to an AFC Wimbledon game. Uh, yeah, next week against Oxford United, I think.
1: Well, I... I am so excited for you. Is Oxford United good at at football? Let me
0: look up and make sure it's Oxford United first before I answer your question. It is Oxford United. Now, let me answer your question as to whether they're any good. I th- I, at this point, Hank, every game is incredibly important. But Oxford United is not just good. They are very good. They are currently Third. Um, which means that they are in one of the automatic promotion spots. The mm. top three spots mm. wow. in the league all get promoted up to the third tier of English football. AFC Wimbledon currently in tenth, right? Um, but they have—they're uh, only three points out of sixth. So it's—it's. Uh, it's... So we're just going to jump right into the news from AFC Wimbledon. AFC Wimbledon, Hank, uh, played Luton Town last week. Now, of course, you remember Luton Town because of their significant role in AFC Wimbledon's history, I assume? Sure, yes, of course. You don't, do you? No. Hank, in 2011, just nine years after the club formed, or reformed, AFC Wimbledon was in the fifth tier right. of English football. Yes, They were an amateur mm-hmm. team, not yet in the football league. You couldn't play them in FIFA And they made it to the playoff final. The game, at the end of 90 minutes, the score was nil-nil. At the end of extra time, the score was nil-nil. And then there was a penalty shootout. And 19-year-old goalkeeper Seb Brown saved two penalties against Luton Town to send AFC Wimbledon up to the Football League and back to their rightful spot uh, in professional English football. That same Luton Town a couple years later got promoted. So now uh, we get to play them twice every season. And AFC Wimbledon played Luton Town uh, last week and won 4-1, Hank. They won won by three goals, which is great for goal difference. Mm -hmm. And two of the goals were scored by our Montserratian international, the Montserratian Messi, some call him. (laughs) Do you know who Lionel Messi is?
1: Yes, yes i have
0: heard that name he's a a tennis player (laughs) you're kidding right yes okay thank god i am um yeah so uh i call him the montserrati and messi the montserrati and messi scored two goals afc wimbledon beats luton town 4-1 we're in 10th place uh i have to say i am starting to properly dream
1: uh so how where are you at in the thing did you say, oh, by the way, that this the the and Messi is is Lyles Taylor, or did you just not say that name ever? Because I feel like you should at least use his name and not just call him.
0: <laughs> I don't. At this point, I don't think it's necessary to say his name. I think we all know. <laughs> I think we all know. Well, I did.
1: So that's a, who the Monzerrati and Messi. Is. There can only be <laughs> kind of one. That I, and it's Lyle Taylor. I know that.
0: Um, <clears throat> yeah. So AFC Wimbledon. To repeat myself, Hank, are tenth. Okay. They are tenth in the league right now. Sorry. <laughs> okay but because uh because different teams have played different numbers of mm. games uh if a f c Wimbledon win all of their games there's like sixteen games left, so obviously that's not going to happen but like if a f c wimbledon won all of their games and if all the teams above them won all of their games a f c Wimbledon actually would make it into the playoffs mm. so uh okay <clears throat> great that's i'm getting a little choked up here as you can tell but yeah i'm starting i'm starting to dream i am truly i I'm dreaming. I'm
1: dreaming with you john i'm gonna have a i'm gonna have a dream i had a dream last night that i had a bunch
0: of tattoos and a, and a really nice body <laughs> <laughs> i mean i might get an afc Wimbledon tattoo if they get promoted this season <laughs> i'm sure my oh, wife man. would be delighted yeah i'm
1: sure i'm sure um all right you want to hear you want to hear some what's some, the some news, news from mars? mars this week all right uh well uh as you as you may have heard uh you know we gotta we gotta make when we get to mars we gotta feed ourselves and uh, one way to do it is just to bring all the food with us. Uh, but as we learned from *The Martian*, uh, if you bring all that food and then suddenly you need to spend another six months on Mars, uh, you got to take your Thanksgiving dinner, cut up those potatoes, plant them in the Martian soil, and uh, become you know become the, the greatest botanist on the planet. Uh, and it works fantastically in the book, in the movie. Uh, so NASA is actually looking to simulate growing. Uh, Mars potatoes in Peru, the home of the potato. By the way, if you were, if you did not, if you did not know where potatoes came from, South America, surprisingly, uh, somewhat surprisingly, just because it is such a big part of what we consider European cuisine, but not, not since only, only after the Colombian Exchange, as they say, uh, here on dear Hank and John, the, uh, the 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 partnership is between NASA and I'm not kidding you, uh, Lima's International Potato Center. Which is a thing that exists. Uh, there are there are many, 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 many different varieties of potato. We do not see the vast majority of them here in the in the U.S. grocery stores, but there are 4,500 varieties that are registered at Lima's International Potato Center, and uh, hundreds of them will, including some genetically modified ones, will be used to be uh, sent through a series of tests to see how good they would be at producing potatoes. Uh, not just uh, not just potatoes for one generation, but potatoes for many generations of potatoes on the surface of Mars, uh, and that is we've got to deal with uh, you know the, the amounts of of uh, you know the the soil will need to be cleaned up before it is you know if we're on Mars the Martian soil. We need to cleaned up to some extent before this is done. But you know, you got to test for for salt, the amount of light that they need, uh, you know, the amount of water that they need. It's best if they use less water and produce more potato. Uh, and you, there's like a radiation concern. So, uh, but they're they are confident that at least some of these potatoes will pass uh, pass the, through these tests, and we will have we will have the right stuff for going to potato to potato land with. And by potato land,
0: I mean Mars, and that's what we're going to call it. Well, but someday it will be known as Potato Mm -hmm. Land. All of our potatoes will be grown on Mars. We'll just uh, we'll eat nothing but Martian food. Earth will be for humans, Mars for potatoes. <laughs> just, if there's only one food, John, it should obviously be potato. I mean, if you're only going to have one food, potatoes is not a bad option. Okay, so before we go, we need to answer uh, a few things from previous episodes uh, that have been brought to our attention uh, via our email address, John at gmail.com. First off, Hank, uh, Mel wrote in about cereal uh, in your latest. This podcast, John confessed he puts water on his cereal. This intrigued me because I hate milk. I thought I thought putting water on cereal was generally unacceptable and that nobody would actually try it. But hearing that at least one person in the world has not only tried it, but does it regularly, I thought I had no reason not to try it myself. So this morning, I had water on my cereal. And as advertised, watered cereal provides the same softness that milk does without having to add actual milk. This has saved my breakfast no longer will i suffer the grossness of milk or cut the roof of my mouth on dry cereal i don't care if i get judgmental looks in the morning i can finally enjoy cereal in a way i never could have before thank you for revolutionizing my mornings sincerely mel you are welcome mel
1: well it's hard it's hard for me to argue with that john it's hard for me to say that you are the monster that you are after mel has had this wonderful life-changing experience but
0: We've also gotten about 400 (laughs)
1: emails from people who
0: are disgusted
1: by me. And an awful lot of comments, because you made a whole video about this. We've also got a message from Till, who says that uh, not only are there feral cows in British Columbia and Hawaii, but also in Hong Kong. And yes, Hong Kong. There are feral cows in Hong Kong. I'm not even kidding you. Jeff made some some corn dog cake for his kids, and it wasn't bad. And he attached a picture of his kids, and they do indeed look very happy. Amanda writes in to say that uh, she works at a food bank in Alameda Alameda County and thus knows all about how long food lasts after its sell-by date. And indeed, macaroni and cheese is perfectly fine. In fact, dried pasta is usually good. Two years after the sell-by date. And she includes a PDF from the Alameda County Food Bank that, uh, it is a guide for how long you can eat things after their sell-by dates.
0: Remarkable. We're going to go ahead and post that as well as, uh, some pictures of feral cows in Hong Kong, uh, to our Patreon page, which you can access even if you, uh, aren't, uh, don't, uh, donate, but feel free to donate, um, And uh, yeah, we are, uh, so you can see both of that. I thought it was, I have to say, having read Amanda's email, I was dead wrong about uh, food and how long (laughs) it's good for. And as she says, uh, John, you have fallen prey to what the food manufacturers want you to think about as food safety, but is really about wanting their products to be at peak flavor. So Mm -hmm. that's really important uh, and an interesting point and one that I will bear in mind for the rest of my life. So... We all learned something today, Hank. Uh, But what else did we learn?
1: Uh, uh, We learned that sometimes when your team doesn't score any goals and is being absolutely ripped to little tiny pieces by the other team, it doesn't matter. And you can still have a good time because really it's about uh, camaraderie and uh, and singing songs and being together and believing in the same things.
0: And we learned that strawberry flavor is uh, not strawberry flavor, but it is delicious. Ethyl methylphenol <laughs> We learned,
1: we learned that John has this strategy called uh, e- e- empathic listening, which is has something to do with Deanna Troy
0: from Star Trek. <laughs> we also learned that Hank doesn't really listen to me when I'm talking on Dear Hank and John. <laughs> <laughs> oh man and lastly uh, we learned that uh grief is complicated and that you shouldn't judge yourself for it but that you should just go on yeah you shouldn't judge yourself if you need to get
1: yourself a donut let's go get a donut
0: yeah just enjoy an evening donut speaking of which hank uh two different employees here at uh, the Indianapolis offices of Dear Hank and John, brought in Friday donuts. Oh, wow. So we have three dozen donuts oh, for just nine people. That's... It is a uh, it's an absolute donut bonanza here uh, today, and I'm so grateful to everyone. I look forward to seeing if I can eat ten donuts by myself.
1: All right, donut disaster, donut disaster 2016. It happened. Uh, and it good. So it's...
0: <laughs> oh, I should also mention uh, that
1: uh, dear Hank and John now has an intern. Thanks to our uh, lovely support at Patreon, we've been able to bring on a paid intern uh her name is claudia and claudia will be helping out with dear hank and john in various ways uh so if you ever interact with with claudia i don't know why you would but she she will be helping out mostly she'll be helping out us she we will still be doing all the public facing things actually in fact this voice that you're hearing now is actually claudia's impression of me i'm not doing this at all that's what the intern does she just yeah no, it was claudia introducing herself
0: Yeah, in fact, the whole podcast has been hosted by Claudia. She's doing both of our voices. She's doing a great <laughs> really, job. I'm really impressed with her stuff. work yeah, so far. Uh, the best part about um, her doing this podcast is that she's so successfully made it not fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, really a
1: remarkable spot-on impression of, uh, of two guys uh, really just struggling with, with, uh, with uh, being interesting uh, and, and their own mortality and uh, and not really caring at all whether or not the things that they say on this comedy podcast could ever be considered in any planet, um, you know,
0: Meloria, Mars, or Earth. <laughs> Meloria is my new favorite planet. Okay, Hank, we really have to go. Today's <laughs> podcast was edited by Nicholas Jenkins and possibly Claudia. I don't know. Um, our theme music <laughs> is by Gunnerola. My voice is giving out, and as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to,
1: to be awesome. awesome. Bye.